0: What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. no. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? That's the first words of this passage. What shall we say to these things? And if you're reading your Bible, you know that the first question you should ask is, what are the things that he's talking about? Just a couple of verses before, he says some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. We know God works everything out for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And then what Paul does is he gives us what theologians call The golden chain. The golden chain. It's a chain that God has has done from eternity past all the way to eternity future in accomplishing our salvation for us. It says that those whom God foreknew, that's the first leak in the chain, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. In other passages of Scripture, it says, those who He justified, He also sanctified, and those who He sanctifies, He also glorifies. See, the golden chain, for all the way from eternity past, God's foreknowledge, all the way to the future, and, and glorification, this chain that cannot be broken, it is God's will. And so then He says, what shall we say to these Things. What's the proper response to seeing how God has accomplished salvation for us? And the answer that he gives in this passage is, the only response to this is confidence. Security, security in what God has done, assurance of this salvation that he has bought and paid for for us so we want to look at that today. What does it mean to have this kind of confidence to receive, as it were, in this series, benediction? We're, we're trying to look at the scriptures and say, live with our hands open, so that we re- everything we have is not about what we've achieved. It's about what we receive from him. And one of the things that we can receive from him this morning is a confidence in our salvation, and what he's given to us. Let's pray as we dive in. God, your word says... In your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. And so if there is any any insight this morning, if there's any conviction of sin, if there's any um, delight in you, if there's any sense of assurance that comes from these words in our passage this morning, it's because you have shown us yourself. You have given us light enough so that we can see what is true and so we ask you that by your spirit you would be here and you would give that light give that light to us give us the confidence in you in jesus name amen so a couple of birthdays ago uh for my oldest son uh cademan we we bought him a bike he was turning five and uh we we bought him you know this little walmart special like 40 bucks and um, we, he, he rode it for like six months, and then he got a flat tire. And so, uh, being a good dad, I know what to do. I, I, you know, I'm going to change the tire. I'm going to uh, teach him how to do it in the process. And so we go back to Walmart. We grab the, uh, a new tube for the tire. Uh, we come back, and we insert the tube. We fill it up with air, pump it back up. Uh, he starts to ride it again. I'm feeling really good about being a good dad. Um, And then two days later, it's flat again. And uh, I realize, okay, maybe this is just a manufacturing error or something like that, and so it couldn't possibly be that I did something wrong with it. Uh, So what we end up doing is we go back to Walmart and we get another tube and then we come home and uh, we we put it on I realize uh, I got the wrong size. It's a size too big, but I think, what the heck, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm just going to put it on there uh, because, you know, size, it, it, it probably doesn't matter at all. And so we, we put it on there. We pump it up. One day later, it's flat again. I'm like, okay, well, that was a mistake. I should have gotten the right size. I should have gone back and gotten the right size. And so uh, we do go back. We do get the right size. This is the third tube that we're on. We come back. We put it on the bike, pump it up. And then, two days later, it's flat again. And I'm thinking, this is getting ridiculous, right? I mean, uh, I mean I'm mean, i just gonna buy one more tube on this. If there's one more, that we're just getting a whole new bike because there's something I'm not seeing here. Uh, and so we go back to Walmart for the fourth time, and um, we buy a new tube, and I come home, and I'm putting it on, and this fourth time that I'm putting it on, I finally see it. <laughs> Covered up with the same, like, tire substance that's, you know, black, and so I couldn't see it, is the tiniest nail that is sticking through the tire part, not the tube, and just barely, barely jutting out on the other side. Uh, And so every time my son put more pressure on this tire, right, it would puncture it again and again and again. My guess is, is that as we come and talk about assurance of salvation this morning, um, confidence in God, you you might have had a similar experience with your own journey in terms of your confidence in your own salvation. Meaning there's lots of different ways that you can pump yourself up for feeling like you're okay with God. Does that make sense? You come and hear a sermon about assurance of salvation, and it's like (laughs) putting air in the tire for you. It's like, finally you see and you have confidence in what God has done, but it only takes a couple of days before you can feel completely flat again. Or maybe uh, you pump yourself up with, uh, with good works or with uh, discipleship habits. Maybe you get up early and, and study your Bible for uh, a week or so, and you're feeling really good, you're feeling really full. And then the next week, you're on empty again. You feel flat and you feel like you're constantly doing this, pumping yourself up and then feeling flat again and again. What I want to suggest to us this morning is that perhaps there's a hidden nail. Something that we haven't addressed yet. Something that we haven't seen yet that maybe over and over and over again is leaking out this tire. And I want to suggest that for many people, the, feel, the, the nail that, that we have is that we feel like a fraud. I think this is a universal kind of human experience. The feeling of, I'm not who other people think that I am. If anybody were to look into my life, they would see what a fraud I am. If I was somehow discovered, then... Um, then people would see how bad I really am. I'm a fraud. And so if I believe in God at all, and I believe what the Bible says about God, which is that he knows everything, uh, well, he must be in this constant state of perpetual disappointment with me. Because if he does know everything, then he knows how much of a fraud that I am. And the contrast to that feeling is the passage that we just read. Because the Apostle Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he gives us this huge passage about confidence in God, with the climax of which he says, In the, all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in what Jesus has done for us. Can you imagine if you asked somebody how they felt or how things were going, and that was their response? <laughs> more than conquering. <laughs> You know, we, we say at church a lot, how have, you, how have you been? You know, I got a few of those this morning. How are things right now? We know the right response is what? Good, you know, fine. Uh, maybe at New Valley Church, we're a little bit better than that. We're an authentic community. And so maybe there, there is an opportunity where um, you can kind of speak and talk about your struggles and you can say, yeah, I'm struggling right now. You know, and that's, um, that's like a genuine response. You might say, I'm struggling in my faith or my marriage is really hard right now or whatever. But like, can you imagine somebody saying that? More than conquering, <laughs> you know? How are you doing? I'm more than conquering. I mean, there's conquering, right? And there's what I'm doing, which is like more than that. Um, I mean, all I do is win, win, win. You know, like, I, just, I just conquer. I mean, that's what I do in my life. I'm just killing it. Can you imagine? I think what we would say to that person is they're fake. Here's what I want us to see today from Romans uh, chapter 8. Every experience is an opportunity to gain confidence in God. Every experience in our lives, the good things, the hard things, every single one is an opportunity to gain confidence in God. Every single one. I want to show you this, I want to prove it to you from this passage, and I want to prove that Paul's not being fake when he says... In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. He's not just pumping up the tire so that it'll go flat again later. He's not being fake. It's true. I want to look at two things. Just the form of the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? So look first with me. Look at who is for you. Where does Paul's confidence come from? It comes from him looking at the character of God. Verse 31 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. What Paul does there is he references back to another story earlier in the Bible, to the story of Abraham and Isaac. He says that God who didn't spare his own son. That formulation there is what is said about Abraham when he's being called to sacrifice his son. He says, take your son, your own son, the one whom you love. And we, he leads him through this drama all the way to the point where Abraham is about to sacrifice his son and God stays his hand. He says, don't do that. And what Paul is saying here is this. God... He didn't stay His own hand. He didn't lead Christ to be sacrificed and then say, no, I'm not going to do that. He actually went through with it. He didn't spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also do everything that we need? He's already done the harder thing. He's already shown us that He's willing to sacrifice His Son. So what more would He not do for us? You see, it's His logic. He puts his trust in the character of God. He puts his trust in the work of Christ. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul's hope not only comes from the character of God, but from the work of Christ. Christ has done this thing for us. The answer to the question who is to condemn is no one because Jesus Christ has already done this amazing thing. He already came and lived a life that no one else could live. Therefore, doing something that no one else could do. He already died. The greatest sacrificial act of love ever in history. He's already lived. He's already died. More than that, Paul says. He was raised from the dead. The greatest uh, thing that's ever happened in history because the greatest defeat was accomplished there the defeat of death itself and so christ has done all of these things the work of christ is finished on the cross he says it's finished i've finished my work and yet more than that he continues to intercede for us He's on the right hand of God, and He speaks on our behalf, and He keeps showing us over and over and over again, especially when we feel the nail puncturing our confidence. He says to us, look what Christ has done. Look who God is for you. I think many of us believe in that theology. We believe in Jesus Christ in the work that he came, his person and his work. We believe in, even in the character of God. When I say the, the statement, um, if God is for us, who can be against us? The question is not so much, is that true? Like in theory, because like whoever God is for, we believe you know, no one will be able to stand against. The bigger question that we have sometimes is, but is he for me? How do I know if he is for me. I believe He's powerful. I believe He's done all these things. I believe He died for me, but, or He died in general, but did He die for me? Does He intercede for me? That's a question that we have. And just in the previous verses we read earlier that, that Paul says that the promise that, that everything will work out for good is for uh, people who have two things. right? And this is how you know whether it is for you. He says that he will do this for who? Those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, if we're going to apply the gospel and have this confidence. First of all, do we love God? And I think a lot of times when we say that, uh, do do I love God, what we think immediately is, do I love God perfectly? (laughs) But that's not what it says. It doesn't say, do I love God perfectly? Uh, Pastor John Piper, one of his sermons one time, I remember this. He said, the question, do you love God, can be answered like, do you love anyone else, right? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your uh, kids? Do you love your siblings? Do you love your parents? Think about someone that you love. Do you love that person perfectly? Of course not. Of course not. But there is a real love there. There's a relationship there. There's an energy there. Do you love God in that way? Are you called according to His purpose? What does that mean? It doesn't mean, like many have said, that you know exactly the time and place when you gave your life to Jesus. Some people emphasize that. Do you know the, the exact time and place that you were called to God? What I think is a better analysis is this. Right now, do you feel his tug towards you? Are you, in a sense, on the edge of your seat a little bit or in your heart, leaning in towards him? Not perfectly. Have you loved him? Have you been called? If the answer to those is yes, however imperfect, and it is, very, very imperfect, just like your marriage, just like your kids, just like your siblings, just like your parents, then here, God's promise to you, God is for you. Who is for you? The God of the universe is for you. Second question, our second thing to see is this, to look at who is against you. Look at who is for you. The character of God the work of Christ. Look at who is against you. Look at the things that become the opportunities for defeat and flatlining in your faith. Let's talk about those hard things because even in the hard things, not just the good things, not just what God has done for you, we look at what God has done and we have an opportunity for confidence in who He is and what He's done for us, but we look also at the hard things and I want to show you that even in those things, we have an opportunity to gain confidence in God. Who is against us? At least two things from this passage. The first one is this our hearts. Our hearts. When I read those questions earlier, um, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? There's some of you in the room who probably, your, your immediate thought was, I know exactly who does that. It's me. Who condemns? I condemn myself. Who brings a charge? I bring charges against myself. I don't need someone else to say to me how bad I am. I know me better than anyone else knows. And I know for a fact that I do not have a heart that's good that follows after God. I'm so sinful. There's no way that God loves me. We think these things. Our hearts are a formidable thing against us. Because who knows you better than you? Our hearts are probably more often than not the nail in the tire. The thing that says, but remember, you did this. But remember, you are this way. But remember, this is what happened. And so our hearts condemn us. Let me share with you one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture, in my estimation, all of Scripture, 1 John 3, 19-20 says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. He knows everything. There's no condemnation that you can speak to yourself that God doesn't already know. In fact, he knows ways beyond you do to condemn you. He knows the intricacies of your heart. The heart is desperately wicked, the scripture says. Above all else, it's desperately wicked. But God, it says in this passage, is greater than your heart. Even though it's a formidable thing against you, there is something greater than your heart that can give you confidence. However big the voice of your own heart is against you, God is greater than that voice. And I I just think this is so important. We read in this passage, it is God who justifies. It's God who justifies. And what we often do is we think, my sorrow of sin is what justifies me. How badly I feel about something is what ends up giving me um, this justification. But that is not true. It's God who justifies. It's not how sorry we are. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're wanting to take that and abuse it, and you're wanting to say, like, well, if, you know, if I can just do whatever, then I'll go out and live this way. That's not, you don't understand the gospel. But I'm not going to back away from the promise here, which is that you can have confidence because somebody might run and abuse it. Because this is beautiful. Whenever your heart condemns you, we all want to be there. We want to walk after God. We want to live in a certain way. And yet, this thing keeps puncturing our confidence in God. It's our own hearts. God is greater than that. God's greater. And that's why it's an opportunity to gain confidence in God because whenever your heart condemns you, whenever it comes and says that to you, you then have an opportunity to say, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying this voice of condemnation. I know how formidable it is against me, but I have something greater. It's God's love for me, which cannot be removed by my own heart. Who is against you? Your heart. Secondly, our enemies. Paul lists a bunch of enemies here. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul, this these enemies, there are people raised against the Christian church. There are natural disasters, circumstances, governmental authorities, demons, the evil one himself, who work together to destroy, if they could, your faith. From every realm, and I think we know this to be true. Have you ever had that experience of like, everything seems to be working against me right now. And it seems like we have all of these enemies. And what these enemies do, these circumstances, these people, um, these, the evil one, um, the demonic realm, what they do is they amplify what our own hearts have already said to us. The voice of condemnation. You're a fraud. And they, they amplify that song in our hearts, so that we feel like frauds, we feel like no one really knows. We're not really fooling anyone, the enemy says to us. Your circumstances stay to you. You're not fooling anybody. We know how bad you are and make you stress about your salvation, and make you stress about your perception with other people, of what other people think about you. And all of these things are just in our heads. And it's a formidable enemy, just like our own hearts. Our enemies say this to us over and over again. Paul says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How? How? can the Apostle Paul say that to us? How can he say that to us? How can he say, you're more than a conqueror? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I've been through or what I've said or done. How can he say, you are more than a conqueror? How is he not just being fake? The way that he's not being fake is because he's not saying that you won't experience really hard things. He's not saying in this passage that you won't experience hard things. He's saying something in a very unique way. And the way that we speak matters. I remember seeing this advertisement uh, a couple of years ago for a ministry, a Christian ministry that um, I respect and I've used before, and it's it's great. Um, But they were advertising this thing, uh, the persecution cruise. It is exactly what you think it might be. It is a chartered cruise ship where you go and you have all you can eat, you know, belly up to the bar, you know, just like, and the, the, it's a conference. The subject, worldwide persecution, poverty. <laughs> and I looked for the, you know, the satire symbol at the bottom <laughs> and didn't see it. Persecution cruise. Why is that so wrong? Is there something wrong with cruises? No. It's wrong because it, we know that that's not the way you communicate that, right? It matters how we talk about these things. It matters that the form fits the message. And so it matters when we come to this. Paul is not on a cruise ship saying these things. He's not saying, by the way, you need to realize that you're more than a conqueror. You need to get past all these hard things in your life and realize that everything's okay. He's saying, in fact, the exact opposite. Everything on this list is something that the Apostle Paul has experienced personally. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger. The only one at this point in his life he hasn't experienced is the sword. Death. And that's coming up next for him. He's not saying this from a cruise ship. He's saying this may require your very life. Verse 36 is a quote from Psalm 44 says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is my life right now. I'm being killed. People are trying to kill me. They're persecuting me. They're persecuting the church. He's quoting from Psalm 44, which is a psalm about God's rescue of his, of his people. He's saying this is what we're going through. And so what he's not saying in this passage when he says, you know, who shall be against you? He's not saying that people won't try to be against you. When he says, who is to condemn? He's not saying people won't try to condemn. When he says, who's going to bring a charge? He's not saying that nobody will try to bring a charge. There is, there are enemies. What he's saying is, none of those charges will stick. None of that condemnation will be effective if you're in Christ Jesus. Your heart may condemn you. Your enemies may condemn you. But if God is for you, He is greater than your heart. And He's greater than your enemies. Every experience, good things and hard things, are an opportunity. It is an opportunity for confidence in God. Because you can use those circumstances, be they good or hard, to find His will in your life. It's not fake you can be having the hardest time in your life and say, God, I'm having the hardest time in my life. But I know that the Apostle Paul had the hardest time too. And he was not swayed from you by these things. And you can then look at your life and see all the good things. Lord, I, I see how close I am to you. I, I see how you know, you've done all these things for me in Jesus Christ and I feel so close to you. And that can bring you closer to confidence with God. Everything is an opportunity to see Him and to feel His presence. Everything. Everything. couple weeks ago was uh, Father's Day, as you know, and uh, my kids, three boys, they got me presents, Um, and I put presents in scare quotes because what they actually did was uh, find stuff around our house that I already owned and put them in wrapping paper um, (laughs) for me, and, and then paraded them in with much grandeur and, you know, just like excitement. These are all the things that we've brought you. So, for Father's Day, I got uh, a copy of "The Magician's Nephew, um, which I already owned, and um, <clears throat> to, you know, C.S. Lewis, a Dr. Seuss book um, that I had bought, and um, a toy magnifying glass with smudgy fingerprints all over it from our outdoor toy bin. <clears throat> and they brought these to me with joy, right? Happy Father's Day. Here you go. In that moment, one thing that was available to me, I could have made them feel like frauds, right? Hey, kids, how about a real present? (laughs) How about something I don't already have? That'd be nice. I could have exposed their lack of ability to do that. Even a relatively bad father would know in that circumstance not to do that. Why? Because I know their means. Or in this case, their lack thereof. I know it. I'm their father. I know that they cannot give me anything on their own. I know that everything they have is from me. Because of me. I don't have that same expectation for them because I know who they are and what they have. And in fact, if I could make a trade right now, I would say, like, for the rest of my life, as long as I'm alive with them, they would never, ever give me anything that I don't already have. They would just never give me anything. And for a trade, I would, I would be able to preserve in them the kind of joy and confidence they had in giving me those gifts, and the the, the beauty of that, that they were so excited that they brought these things to me. If I could somehow preserve that even as they grow up and never get anything from them, of course, I would make that trade right now. Because my relationship with them is not defined by what they can give me. That's not why they exist. And the Heavenly Father is so much of a better dad than me. He knows Your lack of means. He knows it. He created you. There is nothing in this world that you could give to Him that He does not already own. There's nothing that you could offer to Him that He can't gain any other kind of way, including your own obedience to Him. That's not what it's about for Him. He's not in the business of making you feel like a fraud. Quite the opposite. He's already secured you through His Son. If you love Him, you're called according to His purpose. What He would love to preserve in you, just like I would in my kids, is this joy. Not in what you have to offer to Him, but in knowing the opposite of that, that everything you have is from Him. And taking joy in that. So wherever you hear condemnation, wherever you're experiencing it, right there is where God is calling you to trust in Him. To gain confidence in Him. That sin, that experience, that hardship you're going through, that distance you feel from Him even, bring that to Him. Right there. Saying, "But thank you Lord for making me aware enough to even come to you. And ask him to restore that confidence. Not because of what you are doing, but because of what he's already done for you in Jesus Christ. He wants you to hear this. And believe this. I am sure. Sure. Neither death nor life. Nor angels. Nor rulers. Nor things present. Nor things to come. Nor powers. Nor height. Nor depth. Just in case you've got one in your head that you, he didn't name here, anything else in all creation that pretty much covers it will be able, will have the ability, they may try, but they will not have the ability to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, I can just hear someone's heart condemning them even now, but this doesn't apply to me. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would remove that. I pray that for all of us who are trying to love you and trying to discern whether we are called by you this morning, would lean in and feel you, not as someone who's waiting For us to grow up so that we can give you a real present. That we would feel that you already know our means and you've loved us anyway. Reassure our hearts in the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.